Well, this past Thursday, I got to do something that I've never done before. I left work early and went home, put on a suit, picked up Stephanie and Addie and Lily Grace, who were all dressed to the nines, so that we could go to my Aunt Minnie's beauty pageant. Now, we were all surprised that Aunt Minnie would want to be a part of a beauty pageant because she's not exactly delicate or genteel. Um, She's 95 years old and has lived alone out in Dixon Grove, which is on the outskirts of Excelsior, if there is such a thing. (laughs) For the past 25 years, as I said, she's lived alone. Prior to that, she worked on a farm with her husband, and that living... And living alone made her hard. Aunt Minnie is a tough old bird. And the thought of her being in a beauty pageant was more than just a little far-fetched. But we love Aunt Minnie. For, for all of her eccentricities, we love Aunt Minnie. So we went. We got down to Richmond Hill, to Richmond Hill Nursing Home, and found Aunt Minnie. She was in a brand new outfit that my mom had bought for her, and her hair was all done, and she had makeup on. Now, when we, went to see, when we go see Aunt Minnie, and we tried to do this every week when we were living in Claxton, go see Aunt Minnie, she would wear lipstick, but she didn't wear any other makeup. But for the beauty pageant, she had full makeup on and, and her lipstick, and she was grinning ear to ear. And as she was being escorted around the room, she was waving to everyone who was, who was out in the crowd. She answered all of her questions well. And ultimately, she ended up winning Miss Congeniality, which, which came as a shock uh, to my brother and myself. Something had happened to Aunt Minnie. Her life... Her demeanor, her personality has been changed, transformed even, because she's not alone anymore. Because instead of living by herself at the edge of a community and in what looked to be a stand of planted pines, instead of living there, she lives in close proximity with others. She's been in contact with other people who love her and care for her and want to see God's best for her. And she's gone from being sort of a hard, closed-off person to being this incredibly loving, open, even friendly person. The community of people there at the nursing home have helped her grow and blossom, to be fruitful. They have helped transform her life over the course of just a year. That community made a difference and continues to make a difference in the lives of its residents, the love of the staff and the residents that that they share with each other is powerful. It has the ability to transform lives. What I learned from my experience at Aunt Minnie's beauty pageant was that life together is not only powerful, but it matters and it is transformative. There is power whenever we come together as the people of God in this place. In Dublin, Ireland, on July 2nd, 1789, when he was 86 years old, less than two years before his death, John Wesley completed a sermon that he'd been brooding over for some time. By most people's standards, John Wesley's life would have seemed to be a remarkable success. His early career as a missionary and as an Anglican priest, it was kind of shaky and maybe even a little bit troubled. 
But at 35, John Wesley had, by the grace of God, turned his life and ministry around. He'd begun a movement that had grown dramatically throughout the British Empire. It had spread to America where it became the largest church in the new nation at the time. He was one of the most widely published authors of his day. He was an outspoken and respected critic of slavery, war, and economic policies that he believed caused and kept people in poverty. But now an old man, 86 years old, visiting the Methodist Society in Dublin, he was asking himself hard questions about his own life and his life's work. He never gave a title to that sermon that he finished and that he delivered on July the 2nd, 1789. But the text was this. It's from Jeremiah 8, 22. You probably know this verse. It says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Why has the health of my poor people not been restored? The question Wesley had been brooding about and was asking himself was if the Methodist movement he had begun was so successful as it was, why wasn't the world a better place? Why didn't the world look different because of this movement? In fact, in his sermon, he asked this question, why has Christianity done so little good even among us, even among the Methodists? That sermon is a window into John Wesley's deepest beliefs. For him, the measure of success for a minister, for a church, for a spiritual movement, for his own dearly beloved Methodism wasn't the number of members who joined the church or the quantity or size of the buildings that the church owned or the size of the budget or the church's status in the government or in the culture. The measure of Methodism's success was whether the world was a better place, a more just place, a more compassionate place, A place that looked a little more like the kingdom of God today than it did yesterday. And he felt Methodism had accomplished much less, much less than it should have. Perhaps Jesus' words recorded in John 15 were ringing in his ears. I appointed you, Jesus says, to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last for the kingdom of God. Fruit that doesn't just change your life, but changes the world in which you live. Fruits that will endure. In Hampton Court near London, there is a grapevine, which scholars estimate is about a thousand years old. A thousand year old grapevine. This grapevine uh, has one root that's nearly two feet thick, and some of the branches are 200 feet, feet long. Yet, despite its age, the vine continues to produce fruit. And although some of the smallest branches, as I said, are more than 200 feet from the main stem, they still bear fruit. Because they're connected to the vine. Life flows from that single root out through the vine, bringing life and nourishment and strength to each of its branches. Jesus promises to do the same for us. He is the true vine, bringing life to each and every one of us, bringing life that we might bear fruit in this world. It's interesting, isn't it, the way we talk about faith and faithfulness in the church. 
Most often, we only talk about faith and faithfulness in individual terms. We ask questions like, are you saved? Or how's your relationship with Jesus? How's your walk with the Lord? Those are all vital and important questions. But when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, he's not looking at one disciple. He's looking at the whole crowd of disciples before him. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches, all of you are the branches. You, each and every one of you, is an extension of God's grace and presence in this world. You, each and every one of you, extends the kingdom of God as you go from place to place, as you travel from city to city and town to town, from office space to office space, from Little League baseball field to Little League baseball field to the soccer field to the school auditorium. I am the vine and you are the branches. Wherever you find yourself, bear fruit. Bear fruit that will endure for the kingdom of God. Yes, have your life transformed, but do something to transform the life of someone else around you. John Wesley had a genuine concern for those who came to be a part of the Methodist movement. He went to great lengths to ensure and to encourage individuals to learn and to grow in their faith. He formed societies and classes and bands to support the growing numbers of people seeking to grow in their faith. But Wesley wasn't just concerned about how many lives were transformed, but instead how those transformed lives were transforming the lives of others and were transforming the world. This is why Wesley helped establish free public schools for children in England. This is why he helped found hospitals. This is why he stood against slavery and unjust systems that kept people homeless or in helpless situations because he believed that faith was about more than just a mental ascent to the proposition of a controlling force in the universe, controlling force in the universe that we call God. What he believed was that faith is something to be lived to be lived in the public, that the fruit that Jesus speaks about is something real that happens when we live as God's people in this world. He believed that faith was about us, all of us, working together to transform the world, to redeem the culture, and to establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Wesley believed if Jesus was the vine and we were the branches, then the sweetness and the nourishment of God ought to be found in every place that we might find ourselves. That the world ought to be different because we're here and because we're here, the kingdom of God is here as well. So I've got got to ask you this morning, Is our faith, is our faith transforming this world? Is our church making a difference in the lives of people in Statesboro? Is our church making an impact on the Georgia Southern campus that's literally across the street from us this morning? Or are we content to sit on these eight and a half acres and relegate 
our faith to our head instead of putting our hands to the work of making disciples and transforming the world? Are we bearing fruit for the kingdom of God that will last? Or are we fruitless branches on the vine? We are a church that has the opportunity to extend the grace of God to places in Statesboro that others are afraid to go. To enter into hospital rooms and classrooms and office buildings and out on the streets with the love and grace of God. We have the opportunity to bear fruit that no one else can bear. To live and embody the grace, the peace, the joy, and the hope of our God wherever we go. May you, as you come to this table of grace this morning, find yourself nourished by the goodness of God and carry that same goodness out in the world that you might bear fruit for the kingdom. Amen.